Welcome to Raising Me. This is where we talk to the experts about the challenges that we face each and every day as parents. And just so you know, you are not alone. I'm Adrienne Stein. I'm a mom of three doing my best to figure it all out just like you are. And today's a topic that really hits home with a lot of families, and that's navigating what it means to be part of the sandwich generation. So what is that? It's those in between. Raising a family while also caring for or maybe about to care for aging parents. This creates its own unique challenges. It is a delicate balancing act, that is for sure. It can also leave a lot of us, mostly in the millennial or the Gen X generation, really stressed out about it. So we're going to talk about some of these things. We're also going to talk about being proactive with the resources that are out there to help and the things that we can do now to prevent some of that stress for our kids when we're older. Becky Hedieris is with the Southern Maine Agency on Aging. She has great advice, whether you are really in the thick of that sandwich right now, or these are things you're just starting to think about. Okay, Becky, thank you for being a part of the conversation. Let's just start with, you know, the characteristics of somebody in the sandwich generation. And where did that term come from? So the sandwich generation is really a group of people like in their 40s and 50s, which is scary because I'm there now. Um, Same. But (laughs) 40s or 50s um, that are really feeling like in between, like the press, the pressing of the demands from two separate generations older and younger than them. Um, so there's just like the demands coming from both from both sections and they're just finding themselves in the middle um, and, and finding that struggle of that balance between the two. And trying to be a little bit of everything for everybody, which, you know, I mean, how many parents, are, you know, are guilty of that? And I did, I read a report that actually said that moms in the sandwich generation in particular, sort of like 35 to 54 actually feel the most stress when it comes Mm -hmm. to being a part of the sandwich generation. Why do you think that is? Past ways of thinking continue, I believe, to haunt us of what people's particular roles are. We've, you know, been able to step away from that in a lot of ways, but I think caregiving is still old-fashioned, if you will, that women feel that they're the ones if someone's if if someone is sick in school the mom has that pressure of needing to go pick the child up same thing with a parent if their mom or dad has a doctor's appointment it tends to be the women who have to go um and do it and i think it's just a societal pressure that still exists unfortunately and although we're moving away from that somewhat we still see that a lot with the caregivers that we work with let's talk about some of the challenges uh, that might come from being a part of the sandwich generation and and as you alluded to it's mostly 40s and 50s but you know s- some younger people um mm-hmm. could be in that in that demographic but what are some of the challenges that come along with being part of the, the sandwich generation? What are the, some of the most common ones that you see in, in your work? Sure. So just a lack of time. People are just being pulled in all directions. 
most of the people in the sandwich direction are also have their own career that they're trying to manage as well as children and, and their parents. So when it comes to personal time, it's just not there. And we hear a lot of caregivers say that that leads to them feeling disconnected socially, which is really poor for all of our health to not have those outside um, social connections, feeling like you can meet a friend or do something for your own self-care. Those are the first things that go out the window for people in the sandwich generation um, that are caregiving. So that's one struggle that we hear of a lot. Um, And then, of course, loss of time at work and the financial strain that that leads to. Maine has been great. The last year we started with a Respite for Me grant, it's called, and it is is a grant that helps caregivers get funding for respite specifically. Um, it, It helps give money towards other areas of self-care as well. So we've been happy to see that and that the state is recognizing that this is a huge, a huge need and, and strain on our caregivers to be trying to balance this. I I do want to dive a little bit deeper into like financial strain and those kinds of things. But one thing I think that, that is important to stop and, and really think about is that essentially this becomes a role reversal where the adult child starts taking care of the parent in some kind of meaningful way. And that can range from, you know, I don't know, daily tasks to actually serious, you know, healthcare or financial costs. So um, what are some of the things that can come up for both the parent and the child from an emotional perspective when we're thinking in terms of that type of role reversal? Yeah, it's it can be a real challenge, especially for families that haven't had open communication in the past about these types of th- types of things. So, you know, you see a, a parent who is fiercely independent and they don't want their child to know that they're struggling. Um, you know, so there's, there's that piece of it that they're trying to hide maybe some of the things that they're really, um, struggling with and they don't want to ask for help. And then on the on the flip side, you have the caregiver, the child or niece or nephew or or whoever it might be. And it's it's like a it's a balancing act that you can see some of these risks and you see some of the concerns or you hear concerns from maybe a neighbor and you go in and you ask them and there's some denial there and you know, people can get really angry and it can cause a lot of family conflicts. Um, you know, so at Southern Maine Agency on Aging, we spend some of our time talking through those feelings, you know, with the family together um, if people want to do that. Um, but I think the open communication is the most important thing for families to be having that, you know, you know, if, if it gets to this point, what are we going to do? Yeah, that's that's what was my next question is. Are there ways that we can prepare in advance? And sometimes, you know, an idea is different than the reality, but are there just some simple things that maybe we could start bringing up in a way that doesn't feel uh, uncomfortable or threatening to either side? Yeah, sure. I think having conversations about 
power of attorney, which can be a really tough one. But you can have in your power of attorney, like this only comes into effect if I'm not able, if a doctor says that I'm not able to make my own decisions. So sometimes people think that power of attorney means, oh, like my child is now in charge of everything. But, you know, you can choose the box that says this is only if a doctor says that I'm not able to make my own decisions. So I think that helps alleviate some of the stress for parents and for the caregiver um, that, you know, they both know, okay, this doesn't mean that I'm needing to take over everything right away. So that's an important conversation to have because when you sit down and you talk about a healthcare power of attorney, you're saying to them, if you if you're at the end stage of your life and you need antibiotics, do you do you want them? Do you want a feeding tube? And then later on, if you're in that situation, it can it can yield a lot less guilt for the child uh, that's that's or the caregiver who has to make those decisions because they're already laid out. It's not a choice that you're making to people saying, you know, I'm letting them die. Um, I used to work for hospice and talked to a son and we and we looked at the mom's healthcare power of attorney together and we were like no it's not you making this choice of no feeding tube mom made that choice mm. like in 1997 she made that choice so i think you know that that's a great place to start for people and it can open up a lot of conversations just by moving down the form and you'd suggest doing something like that together because that to me when you <laughs> When you said, you know, mom has decided she doesn't want a feeding tube if and when that ever happens in 10, 20, whatever many, however many years from now, that seems like a really uncomfortable conversation. You know, ring, ring. Hi, mom. Um, Wondering (laughs) if ever you'd want to be on a feeding tube in the next (laughs) decade or two. Like, how... That seems so. Maine, yeah. Maine actually has um, a healthcare advance directive form that's um, right online that um, you don't even have to have notarized unless you're planning to travel. I've done it with my parents, so just reading down it, it's it's it helps because it's not you making just a, a phone call. Hey, happy Saturday! What are you doing? What do you want to do if you're dying? Um, so having the form. And I think if people talk to their doctor, the the doctors highly recommend. I mean, they ask me when I go to my healthcare appointments, do you have an an advanced directive? It's something that's becoming that people are asking more. Um, So if, if you start there with, oh, like, you know, hey, my doctor asked me when I went to my physical, if I have an advanced directive, do you have an advanced directive? Like if you can start really simple and if, if they don't, you know, you could even say, do you like, should, do you want to work on ours together? Um, so you can keep it because because everyone really should have one. So you can keep it pretty, you know, as light as you can for it is a it is a tough conversation. If people don't want to do it with their children, they can also do it with their doctor. That's a good. I mean, point. that's one thing. And then there's and then there's like simple things, you know, that that you can do as well um, of of just saying. You know, I've noticed, you know, you're having more trouble keeping up with the house. Like, is is there something, you know, can we help you with that? Or is there something? Um, and some people, it depends really on personality and the individual. Some people are going to be open to that. And they're going to be like, that would be great. I had a family once that the 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 daughter said to me, you know, 
she makes her bed every day. It's always been important to her. She's struggling more. And she was really nervous to talk to her mom about a housekeeper. And then she talked to her about it. And her mom said, oh, thank God, I've been making my bed <laughs> for 92 years. Now someone else can do it. So I think we we jump to the conclusion that it's going to be a bad thing, but it might be a relief. Um, and, you know, also talking to people about if we do X, Y, and Z, it might, it can help you stay home longer. You know, we're worried about you shoveling the driveway because if you fall, like that's not going to be a good thing. But if we have someone shovel the driveway, you can put your attention to something that, that you enjoy doing. And, um, you know, you won't have a fall that could eventually make you have to leave home. So making it a conversation about increasing independence, being able to stay at home longer versus the losses. Yeah, it's all how you frame it, right? I do want to talk about financial strain um, when it comes to this. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, important to kind of dive into because um, this is another one that can really vary, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. you're just helping to supplement a little bit, or um, maybe you're starting to pay for major living expenses while also, you know, you have a kid in school that you're paying tuition or daycare or whatever it might be. So what are some strategies for managing potential financial strain that can come from being a sandwich generationer? So really, that is a really difficult one. And we know that from a recent AARP study that there's 166,000 unpaid caregivers in the state of Maine. They're providing $155 million worth in unpaid hours. So caregivers um, have really had to come in and sort of be the glue. I mean, it was happening before the pandemic, but now that we're seeing such... uh, a loss in the workforce in in nursing homes and um, medical facilities uh, that, you know, the staffing has been so challenging. We've seen that families are having to step up to the plate even, even more, you know, nursing homes have closed, group homes have closed within our state. So families are like taking on a lot more of the physical piece, but also the financial stress of, of it all. Um, So, you know, also losing time at work, unpaid hours lost. Like if if you get a call that someone's had a fall or someone they have doctor's appointments or dialysis can be a huge challenge for families because it's a three time a week drop off pickup. Um, you know, there's a lot of people um, that are just losing money financially because of getting pulled to those types of phone calls. But as you said, also trying to help supplement mom or dad, whether it be dropping off extra food, cooking food for them so they eat, you know, just the, and we all know the, just the cost of food has gone up. So it can, it can range people putting on additions to their home. So mom and dad can live there. You know, I've had plenty of caregivers that have done that as well. You know, they've, or moving in with their parents. So, um, people have had to get a lot more creative, I would say, in the past few years. Um, as I mentioned before, our state is aware of the statistics, and they did create the Respite for Me grant. There are, and that's specific to Maine, which is a great resource. In almost every state, 
there are resources for people. So where where would you know somebody who might be listening in Chicago or California, how would they find the resources available to them? Yeah, so I mean you can go right through your your own state also Maine and other states just calling your local agency on aging. There's family caregiver departments in the agencies on aging, and they can help guide people through this process. I want to talk about caregiver burnout because, you know, stress certainly can lead to burnout. And a lot of the things we're talking about right now are very stressful things. How do we identify that we're hitting burnout level and need really need to take a step back? We get a lot of phone calls from people that they call for a task. I think people feel comfortable calling for a task. Like, I need help with this paperwork. And then once we start talking, like emotions hit. Like, this is what I've been dealing with. And they and they have a, like a live person on the phone that's listening. And it all comes out. And usually what I notice is that people, to you know, it's a heavy load that they're carrying. And people seem to like just like suppress it. They're just like, I have to keep going. Like, there's no time to feel bad for myself. There's just not time. I have to move. And we hear that from caregivers a lot. Um, like, I don't have time to come to the support group because if I do, I'm going to fall apart. I can't talk about it. But not talking about it just adds to that level of stress. So, you know, I think we see people not not going to their own doctor's appointments, not getting the exercise that they need or or want to, not connecting socially with other people, so feeling isolated, feeling depressed, feeling anxious. Um, So there's just so many negative effects. There are a lot of negative, but there are some positive, right? I mean, the reality is, is if you're in a sandwich generation, that means you are lucky enough to have kids at home and parents who are still with us, right? Yes. So what are some of the, the positive things about being part of the sandwich generation? We do an assessment with some of our caregivers and there's there's like a rating scale that people do and it talks about like how fulfilled they are by being a caregiver. And that's where I noticed that most, not all, but most of the caregivers are fulfilled by their role. It's stressful for them. It's a lot of time and energy and work and running around. And it's hard because you don't know when it's going to end. With with your kids, you know, when they turn 18, they're an adult. <laughs> not that it ends, but with your parents. This, this process, you don't know how long it's going to go. And I think not knowing when the end is can be really challenging. But at the same token, there is that gratification of giving back. Like, or if it's like, you know, I know they did it for me and now I'm able to give this back to them. When we talk to people and we ask that question, I and, and we ask that series of questions, excuse me, that, that's a huge piece for people that fulfills them. I love that. That's awesome. What lessons then can we take away as those of us in our 30s, 40s, 50s? You know, what lessons can we take from this time to 
maybe make sure that our own kids don't find themselves in this position where they are stressed out, where they are feeling depleted, where they are feeling this financial strain and, and guilt and things like that. So what are the things we can think about just moving forward as if we don't have enough to think about? But <laughs> what are some of the things that we can think about when it comes to lessening the, the, the stress for our kids? Again, I think it goes just back to open communication. So maybe it's because of my day job. I've always worked with the older population since college. So, um, you know, I already say to my kids, if because because my husband, their great grandmother was just in a nursing home, and the you know the the family felt, you know, bad about it and sad that they couldn't keep her at home. But I'm already saying to my kids, if you have to put mommy in a nursing home, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already, they're, they're six and nine, but I'm already like, you know, we, I'm having those open conversations with them of, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just too much and they need to, you know, and, and, and I might, and I might be like that. I might need a place like that. And that's okay. It's a heavy conversation for a six and a nine-year-old. Like I said, it's probably because of my, <laughs> yeah. day, probably because of my day job when I've been, just been doing it for so long, but as they get older, and are more mature and can have these types of conversations. I already know that to, to my kids, like that they're going to know what my advanced directives look like. They're going to know what, what I want, what I don't want. So they're never put in the position of feeling like they don't know. You know, hopefully if you have an open and honest and trusting relationship with your children, you can discuss your finances with them. And, and they know, because I talk to so many people that have no idea, would your mom qualify for these extra services. I have no idea. I have no access to their bank account. So, you know, I think that that will be something that, that I do and that I recommend that people do is, um, you know, just being honest ab about what that looks like. And then, and then just talking about future plans, like with, with my parents right now who are in their seventies, like having, having those difficult conversations of if this happened what would you, you know, what would you think? Um, and I understand it can be uncomfortable because of how to bring it up. And if you're not doing it every day, like I am, but for me, it's easy. I can use that as the excuse. Like I talk about this all day long, so we're going to talk about it too. <laughs> if there was one thing we could take away from this conversation today and do today, what would that be? To me, like the best resource that some people just don't even know about is their local agency on aging. So I would, I would, you know, be aware that it's there to, to know that that support is there within your community. It's an, un, you don't need to pay for the service. It's a free service to go through your local agency on aging. There's, there's caregiver departments. You can do something as simple as make a phone call and say, I just want to talk this situation through with someone. If you need help filling out an application, they can do that with you. There's support groups. There's caregiver education classes. There's so much available at people's fingertips um, through their local agency on aging. That's great. That is great advice. Becky, thank you so much. This was a, an awesome conversation and I, I really appreciate your time. I should mention, we'll have some links and resources on our website, wgme.com slash raising me. Becky, thank you. Thank you. A few key takeaways today. First, we've got to have these conversations and uh, 
I know, this is not easy. It might actually be quite messy. But maybe, maybe it could be a relief for you and your parents if you just rip the Band-Aid off. Second, know you're not alone. There are many resources out there to help. Give your local agency on aging a shout just as a place to begin. They are there as a resource, potentially for both emotional and financial health. Also, I really wanna think about what Becky said because the reality is if we have our parents and we have our kids in our life, we're blessed. Yeah, family dynamics can be really tough, very difficult in fact, but there will likely be times that you wish you could get this time back. Finally, don't forget to take care of you. Take a break, see a friend, do something that you enjoy, fill your cup back up so you don't burn out. Thank you so much for being a part of Raising Me. I'm Adrian Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield. Please take a moment to follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, a positive rating and review really helps to spread this message so others who may need to hear it can get it. Wherever you are, I hope you learn something new and get to take a little time for you.